Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we love bringing this content to you for free and we want to keep going. Your support helps make that happen. So please go hit that subscribe button today. It really makes a difference. Okay, on to the episode. We all have our own personal history and our past plays a key role in how we interact with the world. The same is true for our pets. Just like humans, sometimes animals are not immune to going through hard times or early troubles that are no fault of their own. Eric and Rashi Wiese co-host the CBS TV show Lucky Dog, and they run Happy Puppy Dog Training in Los Angeles. They are also dedicated foster parents to a number of animals. As such, every day they come face-to-face with dogs who have difficult or unknown pasts or other issues and who frequently present with behavioral problems. But that has never deterred the couple from giving a pet a second chance. The prime example of this is a dog named Archie. When we rescued him, he was, for lack of a better term, very fearful and reactive because of that fear. So he was about six months of age and he was extremely reactive to everybody and bite risk. In fact, a lot of people went in with bite suits and weren't able to handle him. He was used as a bait dog for dog fighting. Unfortunately, in his first six months of life, Archie had experienced quite a bit of trauma, which left him distrustful of humans. But Eric was determined to earn Archie's trust. It was just going to take some time and a whole lot of effort and patience. I was the only one that he didn't come and try to attack. So I figured, okay, I might be able to work with him. And I was able to kind of toss treats to him. He wasn't taking those treats, but I was able to toss treats towards him walk away. And as soon as I walked away and gave him enough distance, he was able to come in and get those treats. So that was really, really good as far as progress and trust. Then fast forward to a few months later, we were doing that over and over again. I was able to get him on leash. And how I did that was, again, just tossing treats, luring him over with treats, tossing him closer and closer to me. And eventually he would come up to me, sniff. And I would get to a point where he broke that touch barrier, meaning they actually come up and not just sniff you, but actually touch you with either their nose or a paw to try to get a treat rather than me reaching out for him. And so once we got to that point, I was able to get him on leash and get him on harness and then take him back into my environment. Archie steadily made more and more progress. And ultimately, he formed deep bonds with both Eric and Rashi. I actually had a fear of dogs. Archie was kind of my introduction to a one-on-one relationship. I had Eric to kind of guide me through the process and really teach me about behavior and understanding tail positions and ear positions and what it all means and why Archie was reacting and what his story created, what kind of dog it created and how he was able to really work with him to change that and create this transformation for him. He was my best friend and Eric would come home from work and Archie and I would just hang out on the couch watching TV. Archie's rehabilitation was remarkable and it proves that even dogs with the toughest histories have a chance at redemption. What is the secret sauce to these stories? It's the same secret to success of training any animal, patience. Coming up after the break, Eric and Rashi dive into what it takes to train your pets and they provide some interesting tips and thought experiments to help pet parents understand their pets better. Stay tuned. I don't know 
about you, but I love to take my new puppy Teddy everywhere I can. And when I do, I want to make sure to have some good treats on hand for when I need them. Our favorite is Blue Nudges on-the-go treats. They are made with real USA chicken as the first ingredient and no artificial flavors or preservatives. And my favorite part, they are packed in a convenient reusable flip top container that fits right in your cup holder. So these meaty treats are an easy and healthy way to reward your dog on the go. Purchase nudges on the go wherever you buy pet treats. Let's just start with a baseline, if you would. What is positive reinforcement training? How does it differ from other trainings? And how can pet parents think about using this method? Yeah, so positive reinforcement is one of the quadrants of operant conditioning. So it's just adding a stimulus to a dog when you see a desired behavior. So when a dog shows you a behavior that you want, you would add either physical or verbal praise or a reward, whether it be a treat or a toy, something that they value. And that's how we start to build trust with our dogs. And they become much more motivated to work for us rather than working out of fear or psychological intimidation. And so we talked on this show previously about treat training, and this is a part of that that could be? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. And does it work for cats as well, or is it mainly for dogs? Can cats even be trained is the big question. Yes, cats can be trained. It's not necessarily my expertise, but definitely can be trained using positive reinforcement. And with cats, yeah, they, they're treat motivated as well. So it has to be something that they like, and they may not, right. might not like something that a dog likes. But yeah, absolutely. You can certainly reinforce behaviors that you like to see in your cat, and it can definitely be used for them. And Rashi, can you take us through the psychology of what's happening when you're training your dog with positive reinforcement? Yeah, so my background is actually in social work. My expertise actually isn't with animals and their behavior, although it definitely overlaps. And that's yeah. kind of where I became very fascinated. But I got my bachelor's in psychology and then I got my master's in social work. And I was working with children um, at the LAUSD school district, the Los Angeles Unified School District. And I was working with kids that were more high risk, not showing mm -hmm. up to school, dealing with behavior involvement in gangs, things like that. And so... There was a lot of work with trauma that we were doing, and that's when I started to kind of see the overlap with the work with trauma that Eric was doing with mm -hmm. Archie and how it's very similar. And that's where my fascination really grew. And I thought, wow, you know, I really love working with the population I'm working with right now with children, but animals, I think, you know, they don't have a voice and there was so much that could be done. And that's when I decided to, you know, make the jump. And I started a business with Eric. I quit my job and here I am. Here we are. Yeah. Here, here is um, a great place because I think every pet parent wants to have a well-trained pet, right? Like they don't want to be worried anytime that somebody comes over, anytime that they go out with their animal. So take me through how to implement training, you know, when to implement training. If you have a puppy, when do you start? If you adopted an older dog, can you still do it? Like what are some of these basics and foundational elements that pet parents should be aware of? Sure. So it's uh, a lot that goes into this. So let's start with a puppy. When we're talking about puppies and training, training can start as early as eight weeks of age. And we're just uh -huh. reinforcing behaviors that we like to see. Puppies right. are very food motivated. And so if you 
see a puppy lie on their bed, for instance, at your feet, you can certainly give them a treat or physical or verbal praise, something that's rewarding to them. The more you do that, the more they're going to repeat those behaviors. It's going to start to become very rewarding in a very rewarding environment. And you're going to start to build that bond and trust with them. So yeah, as early as eight weeks of age, you can start to work with them. If you're adopting an adult dog, you know, the you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's a myth. And, you know, I don't really quite know where that necessarily came from. We have our theories that maybe you were working with a dog that had some sort of an impediment where they lost mm-hmm. a sense, like sense of smell, sight or hearing, where it becomes more challenging to train them. But if they have all their senses, you can certainly train them. So we want to make sure that we're implementing a foundation when they do come into the home, making sure that they have boundaries, whether you're closing doors in your home or you have a designated area for them to go that has natural light coming into it, whether that be a puppy pen crate or a room designated for them. We want to make sure that they have a safe place to go. Yeah. And you can teach an old dog new tricks. My dog, Ozzy, is 15. He went deaf uh, a year and a half ago. So I've been like teaching him like just different signs, you know, just come on, sit down, like all these things. And he's just had to adapt yeah. without his, his hearing now. And it's possible. You can do it. It's possible. Yes. Yeah, I've noticed consistency is very important. Mm-hmm. Structure is very important and patience. And we've noticed that a lot of people don't realize what it takes. That was going to be my next question. Like, How can you set up a, I don't know if a regiment is the right word, but a, a consistent schedule, a consistent way to do this so that pet parents aren't intimidated, but they know like you're in it for the long haul. This is not something that is going to be a week and your dog's trained. Regimen is a good word. I mean, you want to make sure that when you wake up, just like you have your regimen when you wake up in the morning, whether it's, you know, taking a shower, having breakfast, getting a coffee, something like that, you want to make sure that your dog has the same regimen or routine. And the more consistent you are with that routine, the more predictable their behavior uh, becomes. Mm -hmm. So obviously, there's going to be outside factors like somebody ringing the doorbell or an unannounced visitor to your home. But we want to make sure it's as predictable as possible because dogs don't necessarily know the context of certain things. So when somebody shows up at your door, they don't know where they came from. They don't know that they got in their car or walked over to your home and they appeared and they were invited over. They may think that person is an intruder. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into creating that routine with a dog and making sure that we're either classically or counter conditioning the experiences. So what that means is pairing a stimulus with the other stimulus. So let's say a doorbell rings and your dog reacts to that doorbell. We would want to replace that behavior. So you can Mm -hmm. actually teach your dog to do certain things in place of the undesired behavior. So let's say your dog barks, you don't want them to bark. Well, what would you rather have them do instead? And that's what we want to start thinking about. Always ask yourself, well, what behavior do I want in place of that undesired behavior? So you would say, okay, well, I want them to go to their bed. Great. Do you want them to lie down or sit on their bed? So you have to become very specific with Mm -hmm. dogs because the more specific you are, the more responsive they become. So then you can train them when they hear that doorbell, lure them over with a treat, have them sit on their bed if they know the sit cue, and then wait. So you'll work on stay when your guest comes in. And they actually, when you work on this consistently, they'll hear the bell, they go to their bed, they wait for their treat or wait for the person to come in and then they get that reward. Mm-hmm. So it becomes really cool the first time you see that if you've been consistently working on it where the doorbell rings and your dog automatically goes over to their bed. And it's a really, really cool thing to see with our clients. When they when they witness it for the first time, we'll get calls or an email and like, my dog did this. And it becomes really exciting when we 
get those calls or those emails, knowing that their dogs have started to create and modify their own behavior because they know there's going to be this reward at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think it does sound like you're training both the the pet parent and the pet to to behave in certain ways and to act predictably. And I think that I'd love to get your opinion on this, Rashi, how this human connection and the animal connection, how how it works together, how these these different elements of training are building a kind of psychological, physical, social bond with the pet parent and the pet. Yeah, I, you know, just from personal experience, once it clicked with me and I started to understand how Archie's mind was working and I could mm-hmm. pretty much put myself in his position and I would understand completely what he would potentially be going through. And, you know, Eric actually was very good and is extremely great at providing analogies for me. And that always started to really help me understand things in those contexts. So, you know, we used to live in a condo and it had an elevator and we had Archie. And we also had Rupert, our the next dog that we adopted, who was like a little terrier mix. And we had to go through this elevator. And every time I noticed that Rupert would be very reactive because he didn't know what was going to pop out when the mm-hmm. elevator doors opened. Um, and there were a lot of dogs in our complex. And for him, he just was reactive on leash. Um, and Eric explained the magic box analogy to me, which I can let him share. Yeah, an elevator is like a big magic box that a dog goes into and they just don't know what's going to appear <laughs> on the other end and nor do we. Uh, so, True. you know, it could be <laughs> another dog on the other end that becomes reactive as well. And so now you have two dogs on leash that are reactive towards each other and you have to cross paths. So either that person has to guide their dog away from the elevator and let you out uh, or you have to go through that. And that can be really traumatizing for a dog and they can actually break trust on leash. So they start to become more reactive on leash because they don't think that you're going to guide them away from certain circumstances that would cause that reactive behavior. Yeah. So I started to develop a lot of anxiety going to the elevator. I would actually take (laughs) the stairs just to avoid, but I didn't quite understand what was going on until they explained to me because I never had anxiety going into an elevator. Right. Right. You know, you'll meet new people. It's great. Um, It's good. (laughs) It was a completely different situation. He's like, I don't know what dog's going to come out, you know, pop out. And it was very scary for him. So just things like that, when you can keep that in mind, you can help avoid certain situations where, you know, I would take the stairs rather than take the elevator and not put Rupert in that circumstance that would create any sort of trauma or additional fears. And if you can keep that in mind with and be mindful of that with everything that you do with your dog. I think you can see a lot of uh, change in behavior and really develop a better trust and bond with them. Yeah, they, they kind of go, <sighs> when you right. don't force them through those circumstances, and it starts to, again, build that trust. I think that's so interesting. I never thought of it as, put myself in this animal's shoes. What are they seeing? What are they sensing? How is that going to make them feel? Because you're just like, it's an elevator. Come on, let's go. And yeah. they literally are have no context for what an elevator is. So I think that's super interesting. And, We're and all about point. convenience. For them, <laughs> yeah. it's all about comfort. Well, right. it, yeah, we, we don't understand... Uh, what a dog goes through a lot of times. So, you know, cars, for instance, I mean, dogs aren't engineers. They, they don't build things right. like we do. And they, there's, you know, no manual that they read. They're like, well, okay, this is what this is. And so mm-hmm. when they see cars, they don't really know quite what it is or skateboards. So these are all kind of very weird things that have been introduced over the past century. 
And, you know, dogs have been with us for thousands and thousands of years. So when they were bred to work for humans, none of this existed. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, because you come up, these situations come up all the time. Sometimes you know they're happening. Sometimes you don't, you know, maybe you have to take your dog on a plane. You definitely will most likely at some point need to put your dog in a car. How do you prepare for those kinds of things? Yeah, and that's a great question because uh, like a plane, for instance, you can't just rent a plane and like, all right, let's go work on this. <laughs> so a lot of it is just getting a dog used to the motion. So when you're getting a dog in confinement, which would be a car, you want to make sure that they're in a safe place, whether they have a harness connected to a seatbelt or they have a, a crash tested crate uh, that they mm -hmm. go into. You want to make sure that it's as safe as possible, but they're used to this confinement first. So sometimes it's just going to the car, treating them and walking away from the car just to start off that training. Then it's opening the door, treating them, walking away. Then see if they'll want to chase a treat into the car. So if they mm -hmm. volunteer, we want to try to make sure that our dogs are always volunteering to do things rather than us forcing them in where we pick them up, put them in a car, and they're just in it. And so we want to make sure that we take each individual steps and try to figure out their triggers. And this is what we call a discovery period where we're trying to discover what triggers they have. Is it turning the engine on that scares them. And if so, we want to make sure that they're not in the car when we do that, that we turn the car on from a distance. So we actually have them on lead and we'll get at a distance where they're comfortable and start treating them when that engine turns on. So very similar to the doorbell. It's something that they would yep. react to. So we want to make sure that we're conditioning them out of the behavior of being fearful and trying to reprogram their brain to thinking it's rewarding when they hear the sound. Yeah, that makes sense. And I want to talk a little bit more about understanding triggers. And especially if you're adopting a dog and you don't know their background, you were lucky you knew where Archie came from. You kind mm -hmm. of understood what might be triggering him. But a lot of people adopt a dog. They don't know that dog's background. They don't know that dog's history, what it's been through. Um, so how can a pet parent really get to know their pet and, and figure out what could be causing an issue? Yeah, so it, it's going to be time that passes. Mm -hmm. And time and patience is very important when bringing a dog into your home. So if that dog is coming from the shelter system or you're getting a dog from a breeder, you want to make sure that you allow that dog to decompress. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important phase that a dog goes through where they're kind of still getting to know their environment. They're looking around. They're sniffing. They're trying to figure out what your schedule's like. Are you a threat to them? Are you a resource provider? And so it's really important to do that. We don't want to necessarily get our dogs on leash, take them out because you want to go for a walk. Like, I have this dog now and let's go for a walk. You want to allow that dog to get used to your environment first, start to build a relationship with you. And if you need to take your dog out on leash, that it's just right outside your home rather than on a longer walk. So once you start to build up that trust with them and you start to form a bond, and that can take weeks, sometimes months, depending on the dog's background, you'll start to discover behaviors but you'll discover them in a controlled environment rather than outside in a public place where it can be really dangerous for you and your dog. We want to make sure that we discover those inside. And Rashi, you mentioned something which I wanted to dig into a little mm -hmm. bit, that you were fearful of dogs maybe, or you didn't grow up with dogs. And I want to get your take on how you overcame that, what it was like for you to, to start to love animals. And also, I think that this is talked about, but I don't know if it's true. So maybe I could get your your opinion. Can animals feel when there is like fear between a person and the animal? Is that something that will create more stress in the situation? How do you deal with that kind of situation? 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't have an explanation for my fear, to be honest. I think it was a little bit irrational. And a lot of it was just lack of exposure. Um, maybe a little bit cultural, too. My family's from India, and there are a lot of stray dogs. And I feel like you either are a dog lover and you have a dog, but they're outside dogs, mm -hmm. or you just don't interact with them because they're considered dirty or they may have disease. So you right. just stay away from them. I loved animals, to be honest. I loved books. I loved stuffed animals. I had this little wildlife animal fact file that I would read about. So there was always an interest. I just needed to be exposed and to learn more um, about their behaviors and not be so fearful of things that were irrational. I find it fascinating because ever since I've been able to understand them and get close to them and they're my life now, um, I've been able to transform the lives of my family, you know, who also, you know, have pet a dog for the first time because of me or because of Eric. Um, and they're open to our dogs coming over to the house. And I hope one day they will adopt a dog. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I definitely think that also when I would meet dogs at friends' homes, they definitely could feel my fear. Um, and they wouldn't necessarily approach me because I wasn't really inviting them to approach right. me. So it was like two fearful beings. Um, well, there's, yeah. the, and there's a science behind yeah. that. Uh, they can actually smell stress secretions from us. So we'll give off a certain stress sweat or secretions from our body when we become stressed or anxious. And dogs can sense that. They smell it. And so when we do, you know, tense up, they can see that in our body language too. So it's a lot of factors that go into a dog. And we sense it with humans. So if you walk into a room and you see someone that's really tense, you're kind of like, oh, what's going on with this person? And you kind right. of become a little bit more uh, apprehensive to go up to them or you're a little more curious or more aware of their behavior. So, you know, in law enforcement, for instance, uh, or military, they're trained to pick up on those cues, uh, and, you know, with body language with other humans and seeing if, you know, someone is suspicious. And dogs are very similar to law enforcement. They're kind of like, oh, what's going on? Why is that person nervous? I smell this. I see this. What's going on? Are they going to be a threat to me? And so, if you're not exposed to dogs at a young age and you don't know their behavior, it's not predictable. How do you predict something that you don't know? So, and then when that dog senses your fear, it can cause an unfortunate or uncomfortable circumstance. So mm -hmm. it's really important. And it just it yeah. perpetuates, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I was able to break through that and, you know, build that the first bond with Archie. You know, he was my best friend and Eric would come home from work and Archie and I would be just hang out on the couch watching TV. And, you know, it was, I think I was sitting in Eric's spot, actually. I took over. <laughs> well, he never did that with me. He never, I mean, you know, he would lie at my feet, which I trained him to do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he had a special bond with Rashi when they met. And I, was, I, I couldn't believe that he was, you know, I have pictures of him with his head on her lap and she's, you we know. We send it to him and be like, hey, yeah. we miss you. Yeah, I was like, what, I was like, what is this? So, yeah, it, I mean, it was really cute. I mean, it was adorable. I was so happy that they were able to form that bond. I, I really feel like we helped each other, you know, because yeah. he helped me immensely. And I think, you know, he was able to gain my trust and, you know, vice versa. And we just were able to, I mean, look how many dogs we have now. <laughs> <laughs> how many do you have now? We have six. I mean, wow. we, we have a rescue uh, organization. So we have a foundation where we rescue dogs and some of these dogs are with us for a long time. So, you know, they're, we're unable to find families for them, unfortunately, because of their circumstances. And so we wait for the right family to come along. But right now we have six 
uh, in our home. And it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. And so it, it's not something that I, I recommend no. the average person to do. But because yeah. we have our rescue foundation and because of what we do, we're able to do this. And we have a full staff that helps us take care of these dogs. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of responsibility. My dog Teddy is going through something right now. What is it, you ask? It's the true blue effect, which is all the benefits your dog could experience from the key ingredients in blue life protection formula. I'm talking healthy coat, strong bones, muscle development, immune system health, great digestion, strong joints, and lots and lots of energy. Try the blue life protection formula now and see if your dog benefits from the true blue effect. I want to talk a little bit more about what you do, about the show that you do, Lucky Dog, where you work with supposedly unadoptable dogs. So I I want to understand what are some of the things that make a dog quote unquote unadoptable? Mm-hmm. And is that a real thing? Is there a, such a thing as an unadoptable animal? So when we're talking about unadoptable dogs in our world, it means that they're being looked over. Uh, and they're being looked over for a number of different reasons. It could be that the dog is showing fear in their kennel run. So at the shelter, they're not really warm or welcoming to other humans, or they're sta- showing reactive behavior, or they have lots of uh, medical problems. And this is actually usually provided by the shelter if they are aware of those right. issues, whether it's medical or behavioral, they have different lists and um, those dogs are labeled with those things. Yeah. And so... Most of the public is not equipped to handle something like that. And so when they see these types of behaviors or even the medical issues where it can become very expensive to take care of this dog when they bring the dog into their home, it becomes really unfortunate for the dog because they're not really set up for success. Mm-hmm. You know, shelters really want people to come in and adopt these dogs, but they're just really, they're, they're understaffed and they don't have the funding uh, that they need to get these dogs into the appropriate homes or get them the proper care, whether it be training. Uh, They get the medical attention that they typically need. Uh, It's just, unfortunately, when they do that, there's a recovery period. So let's say a dog has a broken leg or they had to get some sort of invasive surgery. There's still a recovery period for that. And those are days that they lose in the eye of the public where they don't get seen. And so they're overlooked. And so when we talk about unadoptable, I don't think they're unadoptable necessarily, but I do think they get looked over and it's unfortunate, but people like us or rescue organizations will come in and get those dogs out, get them the proper care that they need, and then find them the right home. And so we're kind of an extension of the shelter where we can help those shelters out and alleviate some of the stress and overcrowding that they have. Nice. And so talk to me about some of the work that you're doing, who you're working with, what are some of the success stories that you've had, anything that you you do that helps these animals? What what is that what does that process look like for you? Yeah, so well for the show, if we're speaking specifically to Lucky Dog, and it's kind of what we do in our everyday lives anyway, but Rashi helps find families, so she'll sort through families. Mm-hmm. We either get emails through our business Happy Puppy LA or we get emails through the show. And then Rashi sifts through all the families. We do a pretty, I would say, extreme vetting process to make sure that these dogs are going into the right home. And when I say the right home, just making sure that we're setting this dog and the family up for success. The other things that I wanted to talk about, just a couple things before we wrap up, is Mm -hmm. 
When looking at your pet, your dog's behavior, are there things that are like tells, things that like maybe you you might overlook, but are actually some a sign that you should be correcting or something that you should be um, addressing? Yeah, so dogs will give very subtle indications how they're feeling sometimes. And we look for it with stress, for instance. When your dog is excited or really happy, you can typically tell they have a nice gentle wagging tail, uh, or they bring you a toy, which is a sign of affection for them. So those are pretty common. But things that we look for in our dogs uh, when they're stressed, when they lick their lips, they'll actually just kind of mm. stick their tongue out and do this. And what they do, and I'm just licking my lips with the tip of my tongue, yeah. and that's a sign of stress for them. So we can start to look at that and be like, oh, and look around your environment. What could potentially be causing this stress? It could be somebody that came into your environment. It could be a sound that they're hearing. We also want to pay attention to their ear positions. You know, if they're in a neutral position where they would naturally be, or if they're kind of pasted back against the, the neck where it could be the precursor to reactive behavior, are they very rigid? So is their body really tense? And that's something that we want to pay attention to as well, because if they're very tense, something that might be stressing them out, it could be medically or it could be environmental. So we want to make sure that we're always paying attention to that. And then the tail. So if it's kind of sticking straight up like a tuning fork and just really like vibrating back and forth, that again is a precursor to reactive behavior or if the tail goes mm -hmm. between the legs, which is more common when a dog shows fear or submissive behavior. So those are all things that we want to pay attention to when looking at our dogs that may be more subtle to the layman or the naked eye. But if we start to really look at our dogs, uh, we can start to pay attention to this and even the crescent eye. So seeing just the white of the eye form like a crescent moon. And mm -hmm. that is, again, showing signs of fear or submissive behavior. I see the um, the lick, lick <clears throat> a lot mm -hmm. when it's there's forced greetings with dogs on leash. Yeah. I've noticed that a lot. So making sure when you're greeting a dog uh, on leash that we pay attention to our dog's body language because a lot of times our dogs are not wanting to greet another dog on leash and it's considered a forced greeting. And that can ruin uh, trust on leash. All right. A couple more things before we wrap up. The first being... What has been one of the greatest pleasures or happiest surprises that you've gotten out of the work that you do? Well, I can just say the fulfillment that we feel. There's one thing, it's, it's been step by step for me. It was first Archie and building that mm -hmm. bond and having the unconditional love and just the joy that he was bringing me every day to then adopting our next dog and starting with a puppy, um, you know, and building that relationship. Um, where it, my maternal instincts really kicked in. I didn't even know I had those at that time. Um, you know, he's my firstborn. Yep. <laughs> and then leading into us creating our boarding business. And, you know, at that time, we didn't really feel comfortable leaving our dogs um, with the places that exist currently. We wanted to create something different where it was more of a home-like environment. So they weren't as stressed. <laughs> Right. So we created this home-like environment where it was boarding and daycare and, you know, being able to see that we're creating change for dogs and making their lives easier and more comfortable um, to now rescuing dogs. I mean, it's just been so fulfilling and, you know, we have a lot on our list that we want to accomplish um, with maybe helping the shelter system and mm -hmm. yeah. changing the way things are run there and bringing some heat during the winters and some, you know, air conditioning for those that don't have temperature control. So it's just been so rewarding and so fulfilling. And I especially feel grateful because 
these animals have been brought into my life and given me a really big purpose. And I hope I can do whatever I can to give back to them and just give them a voice and provide them with more comfort and a better life. So for me, that first picture that I get or video that I get from a parent that we were able to adopt a dog out to where they're extremely happy and they're enjoying their life together, Mm -hmm. that's probably the moment where I'm like, okay, all that hard work that we put into this was so worth it. To see that dog bond with their pet parent for the first time and get that video or get that picture, uh, that gets me emotional when we see that. I get so happy and it's a driving force for me to continue to do this because I'm constantly chasing after that feeling. And I guess it's a little selfish in a way because I want to feel that on a daily basis. So we try to keep rescuing dogs as much as we can and making sure that we're getting them into those circumstances. And then secondary would be the ability to create. We've created our business around this. Uh, We have so many things that are coming out, whether it be a harness that I'm creating that I have a, a issued patent and we're going to be coming out with this soon that'll hopefully make it easier to walk your dog without psychologically or physically intimidating them. And then we have a book uh, that'll be coming out soon. So there's a lot on uh, the agenda and I'm hoping that it just helps people uh, form that bond with their dog. A book of analogies, which book is, of analogies. is so awesome for everyone because I know that would really be amazing <laughs> for sure. All right. Two questions before we uh, wrap up. The first being, where can people learn more about your book, your organizations, Lucky Dog, anything that uh, we've talked about today? Sure. So happypuppyla.com is our company. That's where we board and we train and we care for dogs. Uh, That's also where you can get updates. Uh, We also have an Eric Rashi Weesey Instagram handle. So you can actually go to our Instagram where... We're a little bit more active in posting updates on what we're doing, whether it be for the show or in our personal lives. That's where we'll give updates for the book and the harness. Uh, and that's where you can probably find. And we uh, also have our rescue foundation called the Rare Foundation. And that just stands for all of our little fa- family members. Yeah, it's W-R-A-R-E. So with a silent W, but that's Winston, uh, one of our little dogs. We had to put him in there when, when we, we, got, <laughs> we got Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it's W-R-A-R-E dot org. Uh, and you can donate proceeds, go to help dogs in shelters and change the lives of uh, dogs and pet parents alike. Wonderful. All right. Last question. Maybe the most important question. If you could be any animal, what would you be and what would be your favorite activity? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I'll let you start. I love that question. <laughs> I, well, okay. So it's tough because I have two favorite animals. I have dogs, obviously. And then I worked with giraffes. And <laughs> oh. I adore giraffes. Now, they're obviously not a domesticated animal, but I just always thought it was amazing how tall they are. And the point of view from a giraffe's eye level has to be incredible. So I think that's just really cool. And they're just really, they're kind of gentle horses. And so I I just think they're amazing. But if I had to be any animal and it was just one, I would probably say German Shepherd. I'm going to actually agree with Eric on that. Um, Of course, dog for me. Um, But (laughs) I think shepherd because they're just so smart. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have this loyalty and they have this relationship with their human that I think is so beautiful. Um, So maybe between a Belgian Malinois or a German shepherd. Yeah. Oh, those are two very different dogs. They seem to have a lot of fun. So they, yeah, yeah, they're very different than German shepherds. Uh, Although they look 
uh, very shepherd-esque. Yeah. Uh, they're very different in yeah. temperament. But it just dogs in general, for me, the way they enjoy life compared to humans. I mean, we go through a lot of ups and downs. And dogs can th- uh, can go through that too. But the amount of dopamine and oxytocin that these dogs get, that love hormone that they get, is pretty incredible. And I wish, as humans, we could get that more often. But dogs get it every day, on a daily basis, just by seeing you. So I envy that. I wish we could do more of that. And so... Less judging and more love. Yes. 100%. Love that. Perfect way to end. Thank you both for hopping on with me today. It's been so much fun. Of course. Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to Life with Pets, the show that combines real pet stories with proven guidance from pet professionals. I'm your host, Hillary Georgie, and I hope this show has been a great resource for you as a pet parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to download the Buddies app. This episode was produced by the team at mission.org. Mission.org.